good morning, Antioch Church. How's everyone doing this morning? Awesome, awesome. Hey, before we get started our conversation, I'm kind of hijacking this from Tanya. This is the lovely Tanya Martineau, by the way. Give her a hand. <clears throat> and I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be interviewing her here in a little bit too, just so. <laughs> Um, I just during our guest connect time, I was touching base with uh, with someone in the house who just mentioned a need for healing, and I just feel like, man, is there anybody else in the house today, based on that word that was given, that uh, the Lord is just distributing healing in the house? Anybody else this morning say, you know what, I my body could take some healing. Just go ahead and lift your hands up high. And look at this, look at this. So uh, in fact, why don't you stand up if you can and family, just gather around and just lay your hands uh, and, or stretch your hands. We are a church that believes that God heals now and he heals today and that, that that does not end and that does not change. So in the name of Jesus, Father, we thank you that you are a healing God. Father, we thank you that you see every need that is in this place today. Lord, and you're moved with compassion. Father, we thank you that our bodies were created to uh, function uh, in the healing grace and the healing power of Almighty God. And so today, we declare unto you, be healed in the name of Jesus. Let the power of God touch your hips. Let the power of God touch your sciatic nerve. Let it touch uh, your spinal cord. Let it touch your knees, your ankles pain that has been racking your body for weeks and months. We declare the Lord heals you today. Let the name of Jesus right now just come upon you and come over you. Father, we thank you that even, even that woman with the issue of blood, when she reached out and touched the hem of your garment, that there was, there was so much healing that was resident within you that she just touched the hem of your garment and healing was transferred and imparted. And so today, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we reach out to you. We respond to you. We thank you for the ministry and the movement of your spirit, the ministry and the message of the prophetic today that has said that you are distributing. You are filling up dry and empty cups. And Father, you are, you are distributing healing. And we say yes. We say yes today. We lay a hold today. We possess it today in the name of Jesus, by grace and by faith and by the power of your spirit. And we all said amen, amen. How many of you just right now, just very quickly say, you know, I, I, I can do something that I haven't done, or there's, there's a, a lessening of pain, or a removing of pain, or there's anybody experience that? No pressure. We don't want you to manufacture anything, but we are saying that if you did not or have not, we are continuing to pray into that and believe that God's full healing will manifest in your body. Don't ever stop believing in the truth and the promise of who God is and what he can do for you. Amen? Amen. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for letting us do that. It's your show. <laughs> no, I, I, actually do, I actually do want to introduce you to the body. And so um, this is Tanya. Tanya, how long have you been here a part of the Antioch family? And just share with us a little bit of your story on how God 
brought you here to Antioch? Yeah, um, so I moved here about two and a half years ago, and I only knew three people in the city, but I knew that God called me here. And I was looking for a home church, and I had been searching, couldn't find any. It's exhausting trying to find your home church, but I knew it was important. And so a couple of friends, like two people that actually don't go to Antioch, they recommended this church. And at the time, I was like, oh, I'm so tired. So I was like, I'll download the podcast, and I'll hear it and get kind of a feel, because you can know a lot by listening to podcasts, how the pastor preaches, like just their heart behind it. And so I was like at the YMCA on the treadmill, listening to Pastor Jade and weeping. And I just knew in that moment that this was my church. And so I told my mentors in Korea, I was like, I found my church. And they're like, oh, really? Like, what's the pastor like? I was like, I don't know. They're like, how's the church? I was like, I've never been. But I was like, I still, I found it. And then I walk in the church and I'm like, He's a halfy. He's a half Korean. Half Korean. Okay. If you guys don't know, I'm half Korean. I mean, so God uses funny things, you know, to bring signs. So it was just a small confirmation to me. And then I was like, and there's two Latinos on staff too. So icing on the cake. Um, no, so I think not just that. Okay. There's more to like the foundations and the values and all of that that I was tied to, but that was one one of the confirmations. So yeah, I've been so, here for that long. Tanya, we ran into you in the coffee shop just a couple of weeks ago, the staff guys and I, and um, I didn't know all of your journey and all that the Lord had been doing in you in Antioch. And uh, Tanya could really be considered one of our long-term missionaries. Um, what she does globally and locally and even nationally. And we'll get to a little bit of that here in just in a minute. But as someone who goes in and out, just tell me what has your experience been being a part of the Antioch family and how has it shaped you and how has it grown your life? Yeah, that's good. Um, I think for the past six, seven years, my life has constantly been going back and forth to different countries. I'm involved in media, so photography, video. I go overseas working with a lot of um, large nonprofits, small nonprofits, missionaries, um, and highlight the work that God's doing there. So because of that, um, I'm constantly coming and going, and at times I feel like a nomad because um, my community is constantly changing, which is why I knew coming to Colorado Springs, I needed to be planted, and then I needed a place to feel home, and I feel like Antioch has been, has been that anchor for me, so that even when I'm sent out into these environments, and I work with a lot of anti-trafficking and sex slavery, um, and poverty, and trade slave labor, um, and so I think dealing with such dark issues, um, to come back to a place that not only accepts me, but also that understands where I'm coming from, and to not just send me, but to really empower me as I go out, so I feel like that's Love you guys. It's all love. <laughs> I love, it. I love it. Okay, before we switch, we switch gears here, tell us a little bit about Unseen, and then tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and, and, and how you're involved in the nations now. Um, when I lived in Korea for a year and a half on and off, and when I was there, I worked at a shelter that rescued women that were trafficked into Korea, um, and that's really where the Lord burned my heart burned inside my heart of um, a desire to help those that have been in bondage to slavery in whatever form that looks like, even going to the pimps. Um, and I started doing photography undercover um, into brothels. 
the Lord has a stupidity grace bucket for me <laughs> over my head. Um, and so I think from there, I saw the impact that media had because they use those images um, for all the NGOs, police stations, and government embassies. Um, and I designed a poster, and the government, uh, Korean government saw that and said, we want to use that to help pass the anti-trafficking law. So from there, I saw that my gift not only helps more women coming out of it, but it can help against policies. It can help on governmental levels. So from there, I came back to the U.S. to good old small town Fargo, North Dakota. Yep, Fargo. It is a place. It's real, not just the movie. Isn't that a movie? <laughs> it is a movie. I've never seen it. It's not true to Fargo. We're kind people. We don't, you know, use chainsaws on people. Um, so I started a nonprofit called Unseen Ministries, and the concept of unseen is to go to those um, small missionaries that are unseen, that are slipping through the cracks, that are doing amazing work, but don't have the time, the resources, or funding to create media. And so I would partner with artists around the nation in video, photography, web, graphic design, and literature to be able to empower them to get their voice heard, to partner with churches like you to be able to go and help them. So I did that for three years, built it, the foundations, board of directors, staff, all of that jazz. I was tired. <laughs> and then after those three years, I felt like God was saying to pass on the torch. Um, and I moved here to Colorado Springs. And that's really where God, I think, did a work inside of my heart and just um, let me understand the importance of being um, and to be still and to be in a church that to provide healing to my soul. Um, and I did that for a year. And then as of last January, I'm now working with a for-profit, which is like a curse word in the nonprofit realm, a for-profit um, company. And we do similar things of media, but it's focusing on video. So now we go to the large nonprofits, Compassion, World Vision, Food for the Hungry, um, and we go overseas and document stories of what God's mm -hmm. doing. So last year, I was gone 150 days, went to 10 countries, um, and now I'm heading the U.S. operations since we're an international company two hubs in the UK and then one here in the US. So that's a lot. And you're involved in some pretty deep and intense, I mean, just from your Facebook posts and different times where you'll write out and say, hey, can you guys be covering me? Because there are some pretty dark places that you go into. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, it is. I feel like um, it's been such a blessing to be here at Antioch for you guys to get spiritual warfare because there's times and places where I have gone and it's... Um, I'm going undercover and I'm like talking to pimps or we're working with sex trafficking survivors and it's dangerous situations. And I'm definitely probably the most feeler on the team and see things. And so I think it affects me and I'm being, and I'm a female. <laughs> so I think I interview a lot of traffic victims and so I usually get um, a lot of the brunt of what they're going through spiritually, the climate there. So um, it is tough, but I feel so blessed to be planted and, again, anchored in such a strong missions-minded church. So. so we just need to make sure that when we see Tanya, because she's in and out, that so when we see Tanya and you run into her before service, guest connect after service, just really reach out. How are you doing? Anything you need prayer for, and just be praying and covering uh, and Tanya. That'd be Thank you. So, where do you want to go? All right, my turn. Taking the interview <laughs> hat, guys. Little do they know I have like a separate set of questions. So feel free to text if you want like nitty gritty stuff about them. <laughs> 
That was a joke, everyone. You guys got to lighten up a bit. <laughs> All right, so I'm so excited about this because um, I think coming into this church, the one thing that drew me, one of the things was that it was so missions-minded, and I think that's rare to find here, not just someone that does missions, but to do, that does it well. Um, and I think when I met with you guys this past week, I walked away not just excited to hear about the vision that Antioch Global Missions has and that these two bring, but also I think I walked away just in awe of the depth and the richness of the understanding um, they have of the nations, and from that, just the blessings that the nations have directly on this house. And I don't think that we fully understand that. So I'm excited to just dive into that for us as a body to be able to walk away with that blessing. Um, so first question, we're going to go with the hardest one, your favorite cereal. Oh. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> but, <laughs> Cookie crisp. Oh, that's good. Cook. Cookie Chris. Yeah, it's we like. never buy it though. I know we don't. She doesn't let me buy it, but it's my all time favorite. You can buy some chocolate chip cookies. It's, some milk you know, there. it's like drinking chocolate milk afterwards and it's like, bre- mm, you know, good. dessert for breakfast. Come on. Mm, amen. Breakfast amen. champions. <laughs> that's good. No, you think that's like a silly question, but when you're in the bush of Africa for two weeks, you're like thinking, you're hanging on to hope of like Cookie Chris. <laughs> so when he's gone overseas, you guys can like drop off some boxes of Cookie Chris. You can thank me. They didn't know. What's yours? Oh, I don't have one. I Honey Nut Cheerios? I don't really eat cereal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I get healthy stuff. Muesli? Granola? <laughs> I think we need hey. options A, B, and C. For when I'm still Christ traveling at age 95, I don't want to hear anything about it, all right? Oh, oh. She's bringing it down. (laughs) All right, no, missions. Okay, focus, focus. Okay, so not every church has a focus and emphasis on missions. Can you share a bit about your story and why this is important and how you guys um, got this heart? Yeah, I'll start first. Um, Missions, literally, when I say missions in my blood, it's literally in my blood. I grew up, I mean, from the time of childhood, very, very young, getting the privilege to travel to Costa Rica. Most of you guys know my dad, Edwin Morales. And I mean, every two to three years, we would be traveling to Costa Rica, um, which, I mean, we were going to visit family, but when you go, you see, especially back then, it's changed a lot, but back then you saw the poverty, you saw the kids on the street, you saw the need, uh, you saw the people locked into a religious system um, that is, is, has a lot of bondage. Um, you saw these things. I saw these things at a very young age. And, and so from the time I was very little, I loved cultures. I loved being around different smells and different people and different uh, ways of living. I, I loved it from very, very young. And then when we moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, my mom put us in a church, um, an awesome church led by a man, um, the former uh, pastor, Billy Joe Doherty at Victory Christian Center. And that church had such a strong evangelism DNA, both locally and internationally. I mean, they were doing it. They were all about bringing uh, the lost to become saved. And so when they would start doing their journeys, he'd go to Russia. He was one of the first people when the wall came down or when the Iron Curtain came down in Russia, they started sending teams in immediately. He'd come back with videos from Africa, with pictures from Africa. And just being exposed to that as a young child, it just watered that seabed that was already in my heart that the world is so much 
bigger than, than Tulsa or my school or my little world. There is a whole world out there. And so that began to whet my appetite. And I remember at a young age telling my mom, mom, I'm called to Iceland. I'm going to be a missionary in Iceland one day. And I was so passionate about Iceland. I've not yet gone. I will go one, one I'm not sure I'm as passionate about living there anymore as I was back then. Um, but then my first trip, so, so I've had this in my heart for so long, but I really didn't make it to the actual mission field until um, college. In college, uh, I, we had the privilege of going to Oral Roberts University and, and they had a missions program that was just phenomenal. That really was a program that ha- has set a lot of why we do what we do um, in our lives. And so going through this program year after year after year, it just solidified. I spent my first missions trip was a two-month trip to Eastern Europe. Uh, the next year I got to go to Spain for a month. The year after that I got to go to the Philippines for a month. Um, the year after that I got to become a coordinator, coordinating trips. And so it just became the passion of my heart. My first trip going, I just, I came alive. I just knew that this is what the Lord had built me for. And then from that point, um, after Oral Roberts University, we got married, and I, I married a man who was just as passionate for the nations as I was. I knew that was very, very important uh, that that was there, and both of us carried has ca- have carried this for a long time, and the Lord has equipped both of us to be able to put together programs and stuff. So from the moment we got married, literally that first year we got married, we were still youth pastors in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the Lord had called us to work together, and I said, okay, well, we're starting a missions program in our church because the church hadn't had one, and so immediately started a missions program program, and, and the Lord has taught us so much through that. Uh, we were actually, I think we were talking to, I think we were talking to the pool races the other the other night, and just talking about how every time we go to a country, we're like, okay, Lord, are you telling us long-term here? Is this where you're calling us? I mean, we cannot go to a nation without asking, is this long-term? And something that the Lord showed us pretty early on after asking that question, because there were many times we almost just Forget the U.S., we're gone. <laughs> um, and But the Lord taught us. He said, you know, I can send just you guys, and you'll make an impact, and that'll be great. Or I can take the giftings and the abilities that I've given you and the passion and the heart that I've given you, and you can raise up many to go. And so from that point on, the Lord began to change our mindset instead of being the ones to be out there. And there are ones who are called to be out there. Um, but for us, we realize that he has gifted and called us to send out many. And so it's just a passion of my passion of my heart. I come alive with it. <laughs> I I have a similar story. Uh, my mom being full Korean and my father being an army GI who met uh, her in Korea and married her. And nine months later, me. But uh, being stationed in Germany for two years, being stationed in Holland for two years. But it really was when I when I came to ORU my freshman year. Uh, some of you guys have heard this story, but uh, at ORU, they have missions chapels. And in the fall, they have a missions chapel where they try to recruit everyone to go out overseas. They usually send about 30 teams uh, internationally every year. And I fell asleep in that chapel. Uh, and I think I fell asleep consciously because I was, I was so narrow-minded and I was so uh, dogmatic that God had called me to the high schools of America. So I literally just checked out. And then uh, in the spring, so they recruited teams and they train, ORU trains their teams for about nine months before they're sent out. So then the spring, they had just another missions chapel to get uh, one more last pool of people. And uh, I I disengaged from that chapel as well. I'll never forget where I was. I was on the balcony of Christ Chapel. And after the service, the worship leader was leading a song. And the song was, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. 
And I was just worshiping the Lord to that. And I heard in my spirit, the Lord say, go. Now we're in, we're in March. So teams are being sent out just under two months. They've already been training for about six months. And I begin to enter into this dialogue with the Lord. I said, well, Lord, teams have already been formed. I said, how do you want me to go next year? And he said, go. I said, I said, Lord, this trip is gonna cost thousands of dollars. I have no way of raising this. He said, go. I said, I don't know where to go, go. Every time that I would ask the Lord something, he would just respond, go. And so I went downstairs, grabbed a missions application and uh, took it back to my room, put it in the drawer and I never filled it out. Four weeks later, long story short, uh, I ended up getting onto a team uh, five weeks before our team was going to be sent out. I was placed on team Indonesia for two months, most Muslim populated country in the world. I didn't know that uh, because I had, I had skipped all of the training. And it was probably a good thing. I didn't know that you weren't, you weren't supposed to preach the gospel in bathrooms and on streets. And so I was that uncontrollable, fiery 18-year-old freshman that anytime I ran into someone, I was just praying for them and asking them if they knew Jesus and uh, putting our team in danger. Yeah, that, that great, that, what does they call that stupid grace, grace button? Grace stupidity yeah, button. Yeah, grace stupidity button, yeah. And I was, it was probably about five weeks into the trip and I was out in our contacts compound and having a devotional around 9 a.m. And I heard the Muslim call to prayer five times a day. Muslim call to prayer goes on. And as I heard that call to prayer, the Lord just broke in and he said, son, I don't just love America, I love the world. And when he spoke that into my heart, it, it changed everything. It changed everything. It changed the entire trajectory of our lives. And like Christy from ORU was able to go to a number of different places, changed what I looked for in a wife, changed uh, you know, what I thought about the American church and uh, changed our giving and uh, it changed our solidarity and our compassion with brokenness and poverty. Uh, it changed our view of heaven. I mean, just everything changed by one word where the Lord said, son, I love the world. I don't just love this one country. And so that's what comes out of us. And, uh, and every time we would go to a different place, whether it be Europe or Africa or Asia or Central or South America, it was lo the Lord just reinforcing, see, look, 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 son, look at these people. I love them. I love them. I love them deeply. And uh, so that's, that's a part of what makes us who we are. Wow, that's beautiful. And you can see throughout the years that God specifically had a hand on your lives for missions. And, but you had that obedience to, to God's call in his heart for that. And I think um, that's incredible. And that's, it's funneling into the vision, I think, of Antioch and what you guys are bringing. Can you share a bit about the difference? I've heard Antioch Global Missions and Antioch Church. Um, is there a difference between the two? Is AGM just a fancy acronym for the global section missions of the church? Or can you kind of share a bit? Yeah, I lead Antioch Church and she leads AGM. And so, no, <laughs> no, I'll let you take this one. depth we want to go. Uh, but basically, they run, they run side by side. So um, we share the same name, but Antioch, structurally, Antioch Global Missions is not necessarily under Antioch Church. We have formed it to run alongside because we do envision one day this becoming a, an actual training center, an actual sending center where we are sitting both long-term and short-term, um, where we are doing multiple things where other churches can come and be involved. And so, you know, in, in the church world that we live in, it, it, it facilitates a little bit better if you have it separate as opposed to underneath another church. Um, so it, they run side by side, but they feed into each other as well. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. 
Uh, no, as we have talked about uh, the vision of AGM, uh, just to add a little bit here to this, and I'd like for you to tell about maybe Faith Point too, because I think that's a big part of, of the vision of AGM. Um, AGM exists for more than just sending teams out of Antioch Church. In fact, we've been in conversation with um, just a handful of pastors here in the city. You know, we are unique in the sense that we, we bring an experience, we bring an understanding of training, and we bring a heart and a philosophy of missions that a lot of youth and college pastors don't have, uh, and a lot of senior pastors don't have. And so we actually feel like that's a strength to our city to raise up and train up another generation of missionaries, not to take people from churches, but to be a resource base to serve uh, the local churches in here in our city. And what we would love to do is actually not, not own those teams. We would love to train youth pastors and college pastors and missions pastors. We'd like to be a training resource for them so that then they're equipped to do what it is that we're doing here, but they can do it in their context. Uh, there's another arm I think that's important that Christy and I have been directing what's called ORU Missions Ropes. So we've been a part of the final culmination of training for about 350 missionaries for, for the past 15 years. And so we think that that is also part of Antioch Global Missions call as there is, I think there's an anointing and an understanding of training, uh, particularly in cultural sensitivity. We'll get into all of the training elements of that. But um, we have a story that makes training very important to us, and we think that's also a part. But then there's another element here, and that's just even, even helping other churches build missions departments, and Christy actually stepped into that this year. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of short-term missions that come in and out of the U.S., and I know we'll get into this a little bit more, and some of that is positive, and some of that's not so positive. Um, in the name of short-term missions, we've done some things right, we've done a lot of things wrong. And I think in our times, both at OR you and sitting down with contacts overseas and, and, and hearing the stories, um, working both with American missionaries and, and um, missionaries that are indigenous to those countries, hearing what is it like to receive teams? What, what do you wish teams knew? What do you wish um, the short-term missions would look more like? How would it facilitate what God's, uh, the vision God's given you better? Questions along those lines. And with that, we've discovered the main areas where, where short-term teams typically do not get a lot of training in, but yet it's vital that they do so that when we go, we're strengthening the long-term missionary, not just doing our short-term work. And so in that, we the Lord has given us a special grace and an understanding with those things, and he's helped us, and he's still helping us form a training curriculum for that. And so one of the visions, one of the many visions with AGM is to help empower and train other uh, missions organizations, particularly in smaller churches that don't have the resource, don't have the experience, but they just want to get, they just want to get the gospel out there. Their hearts are pure and awesome. They just don't know how to do that. And so we're putting together resources to help them do that. And so this this past year is really cool. Um, those of you guys who know Scott and uh, Marsha Hawksworth from Faith Point in Killeen, Texas, well, Marsha just got handed, dropped in her lap, the missions program, had never even been on a mission trip before. <laughs> she was like, how do I do this? And so I was like, come and see me. So she came and for three days, we just downloaded into her. We gave her everything. Like, here's our manuals. Here's our orientation. This is how we do everything. You pulled the whiteboard out. <laughs> I was like, oh man, she we just crammed lesson. all of our big team training into three days. Yes, Yeah. And we're going to continue that with her. And then we have other organizations that again, are reaching out and saying, Hey, we've noticed that your teams are a little different than, than the normal American team. 
Why is that? What are you doing? And how can you help us do that? And so that's part of the vision as well. Oh my gosh. So before we dive into like how you guys see that, do you guys hear that we're part of some bigger vision that sends out other churches? I think that's what got me excited on Thursday, not to know that, okay, it's not just a few churches or a few teams from our church, but the fact that the bigger vision is send hundreds and thousands. That's pretty cool to be a part of. Um, so as you mentioned before, and as someone that travels overseas and does this for a living, I've seen the positive effects of short-term trips, but I've also seen some of negative effects. And what I love about Antioch, and um, I've been roommates with Brittany Riffle, and she's been a part of the missions team for so long here. And we have so many discussions of like how to go about it, what's the right way, how do we help these um, locals overseas? And that's what um, what drew me to you guys. So can you share a bit what sets you apart? What sets you apart from other um, churches, other sending organizations, and what makes you unique? There's a lot of great organizations out there, and there's a lot of people out there doing it right and doing a great job and being legitimately who God's called them to be. Um, We recognize that part of the calling on this church, you know, even with the Awaken, Equip, and Send, is is to be a real training center for uh, for both short-term and hopefully eventually long-term as well. Um, but some of the things that set us apart um, is our philosophy on training. It is the philosophy on, you know, we're not the savior Americans who are going over to save the world. You know, we, we are a part of a much bigger body of Christ that's worldwide, and we are partnering with the body of Christ worldwide to see the gospel and, and God's love and his name and his healing and Jesus, the name of Jesus and his healing power to be brought forth in all nations. But it's not us going as the saviors, it's us partnering, locking arms with those who are there. Um, that's, I think, a little different than some other mindsets that are out there. Um, we also believe that it's it's an exchange. You know, if we're not careful as Americans, again, kind of that savior complex, we think we've got it all and we've got all the answers and we do everything right and we're going over here to trans- transform you and, and the way that you do things. As, a, as opposed to that philosophy, our philosophy is, you know, we're going to serve you. We're going to serve the body of Christ in a region and whatever that looks like. So in Spain, that looks like prayer and intercession. And in in Africa, um, that looks like church planting. And that looks like helping with some of the, the physical needs that are there. Um, in each country, it has looked different because we want to partner with what God is doing in that nation, not what we think we're bringing to that nation. And it's all gospel-based, but it fits into the vision at the context of again. So that's, uh, that sets us apart a little bit. Another thing, too, that we have found is uh, when we go and we uh, go to these different countries who, especially ones that have received several other teams, they begin to realize real quickly there's something a little different about you guys. You have a little different viewpoint. You're not just, you're not only coming to bring the gospel, but you kind of understand some spiritual dynamics. You kind of understand that there's a spiritual atmosphere and there's a climate and the land plays into things and you kind of hear from the Lord prophetically. and, And when contacts hear this because they know they live in this they live in this world I don't care what denomination they are they get it and they begin to pull in that in us hey can you speak into us prophetically can you pray for us hey can we take you to this land and have you pray over this land because you get you know you understand spiritual authority and you understand uh, some of the warfare dynamics and so when contacts begin to hear these things from us they begin to really pull on that as well which is something unique to us I don't know if you want to add anything else a number of years ago, uh, 
when I went to Mongolia. I sat down across the table uh, with our contacts, and the contact's wife was weeping, just weeping. And as, as a 21-year-old boy who's uh, been in Mongolia for one month, prior to that, I was in Siberia with our team for a month, so we're nearing the tail end of our trip. It was about three days before we're about to come home. And she gave me a window into the life of a contact, of a context marriage and a context family. That was pretty overwhelming in terms of how they received their call to come to this nation, in terms of everything they had given up, and how for a lot of contacts, what happens is inadvertently, their ministry ends up facilitating short-term teams that come out. And I had, I had never heard how demanding and how short-sighted and how consumeristic and independent and how selfish and so, I mean, all of these words that started coming out, and I don't know how or why this happened, but she felt like this was a safe place to just pour all this out. But that became a life-changing moment for me as a 21-year-old kid. And I said, if, if I ever lead again, or if I ever develop leaders, or if we're ever involved in any way, we're going to be prepared. We're going to make sure that we're prepared. So I think something that's unique is that every team that goes out goes through a minimum of at least six months of training. Now, when you think about it, our spring break teams go out for seven to nine days. So they're investing six months of training to go into those seven to nine month days or seven to nine days. Our, our two week summer teams, they train for almost nine months for two weeks. And that would seem like that ratio is just totally off kilter. But we made a commitment that we're going to make sure to the best of our ability that we're going to make sure that these teams are sent to our contacts ready and they're prepared so that they can be a blessing. I, I don't know how this happened. I don't want to be too judgmental on this, but I think if we're not careful that short-term missions can, can really become more about us and uh, having a great adventure or having a great experience or appeasing some form of guilt and condemnation. And we believe that we actually receive a better experience when we're better prepared to serve the mission that's at hand. Uh, I think the second thing that's significant about us in terms of that preparedness, we have, a, we call it seven pillars of missions development and team training. We go through spiritual development, ministry skill development, team development, cultural development, uh, financial development, leadership development, and physical development. So those are seven things that we hit in that six or nine month period of time to make sure that, you know, there are some organizations where you're just meeting your team on the country. Like when you get on the field, like this is when you meet your team. And we realize that if, if you have team dynamics, if you've got jealousy or competition or insecurity or even just practical things like gender roles and gender communication and who's people-oriented and who's task-oriented, if you haven't worked through some of those things, that's going to surface on the field. And if it surfaces on the field, we're no longer a blessing to the contact. We're becoming a detriment to the work and to the life's call I think something too that we recognized is that one team could actually undermine years of work and investment that a contact does. And that put a fear of the Lord inside of us. Just a couple other things. There is a dignity of the people that God has put inside of, of Antioch Global Missions. Uh, when I was in Thailand for the very first time, I believe it was in 2000, and, I think it was 2000. One of the best things that our contact there, there did for us is he had us go into the fray of downtown Hatyai, Thailand. And he says, I want you to go down there and I want you to sit for four hours. Go down as a team. No one's gonna go with you. You're not gonna have an interpreter. You're not gonna have a contact. I want you to go down with your team and I want you all to spread out 
where you can see each other, but find a corner or a cafe or a chair or a curb and just sit and listen and smell and look and watch and come back and we're gonna talk about it. And uh, that experience, again, shaped what we do because we try to emulate that to some degree. One of the things that we cannot manufacture in the classroom is people's eyes. One of the things we cannot manufacture is the smell of brokenness. We can't manufacture those things. But if we can learn to not um, recoil at those things, but actually to immerse ourselves in those things, like Jesus immersed himself in, in this planet, we feel like we're gonna have a better opportunity to humbly offer whatever it is that God's given to us by, by first identifying with the people. And I think that that's, I think that's a, a uniqueness. One last thing I wanted to add to that is, you know, there, there are many different philosophies out there. And one philosophy is, okay, people over there, we're here, we'll do the stage thing, we'll preach the message, we'll pray for you, and then we're gone. We, we prefer the approach is a little bit more, we're hands-on, we're with you, we're running, we're playing with kids, we're, we're throwing kids in the air, we're in the dirt with you, we're, we're cleaning with you, we're working with you, we are with you. And again, something that comes out of that is even just much bigger than a, a missions experience, you began to feel more connected to people worldwide than you ever have before. It's easy to say distance in your heart when they're there and you're here. We want to take those barriers down and say, no, we're together. I love it because our team Tanzania, you know, they were uh, in Tanzania for two weeks. And I love it because when they got there, the Tanzania church joined them. And it was no longer just an anti- which, which wasn't planned. Wasn't planned. It just happened. But, you know, it, it went from 10 Americans. Now, all of a sudden, we are the body of Christ of 30 people going into these villages that's what we love to see happening. Go ahead. No, I love that because I think the old mindset of the missions and the old church is we're going to go, we're going to accomplish these things and without actually taking into consideration of where they're going, who they're reaching culturally and to have you guys come in in the basis of it's relational. That's where we're going. It's not about we have a solution to fix you. It's going to be a cultural mutual exchange. Uh, And I think um, in the book, When Helping Hurts, it's a very... um, popular book in the development world and in the mission worlds of where sometimes you can go in and when you think you're helping, you're actually hurting. But I think that's where the philosophy of going and having that six months training, nine months training. So when you go in, you're actually not helping or not hurting, you're helping. And so I love that. Um, I'm going to go here and I know there's some arguments around this in the mission field of, okay, you're sending a team of 10 over. Um, it costs $3,000 or more. And with a 10 minute, uh, a team of that $30,000 could have been used maybe in the mission field in a different way. And so there's some churches that are completely against the short-term trips because they say, you know what, instead of us going, this amount of resources could be better used um, in these capacity. What do you guys feel about that? That's, that's a great question. In fact, we actually had missions professors that were anti-short-term missions. And so we'd be sitting in the missions classes and these tenured professors would just yell at us about how wrong short-term missions was. Part of this is the bias, I think, that I come from that every, anything and everything that I've done that's been remotely connected to missions, I mean, that's down to praying for the 1040 window, being engaged in Muslim prayer efforts during Ramadan, to uh, mobilizing people, all, everything that I've ever 
ever done all came down to a short-term experience. And so for me, I do have a bias. I do understand all the data and the arguments. And here's just a couple of quick ones. I ask every contact the same question. Anytime I have an opportunity to sit with people that host teams, because hosting teams is so difficult. And so I want to know from them, why is this worth it? And here's what I get back consistently. Number one, people share the gospel. Money doesn't. Number two, the incarnation, or which is just, you know, flesh on flesh. It is, it is a person that transmits love. Love is transformational. Water and one, I mean, as, as wonderful as all those things are, love is what transforms a person's heart for eternity. We saw this in Swaziland. When we went to Swaziland, Dan and I went to care points that were established, that had teams that have come in for years. When we would get off of these vans, these little kids that are without moms and dads would run to the van because Children's Hope Chest and Swaziland and the kingdom and Jesus and missionaries and America now, they all translate to one thing. You're gonna receive attention. You're gonna have gentleness and kindness and love. You're gonna be hugged. You're gonna be cared for. Teams, uh, care points that we went to that had never had a team because we got to go to those as well. People were standoffish. They were suspicious. They were mistrustful. They didn't know why we were there. And, he, and it all boils down to this. Two, two very quick answers. Number one, a person is what loves and communicates the gospel, life on life. Number two, I would say, um, we would like to take more of a generational mindset as it relates to missions. Again, going to that micro narrative versus the macro narrative. I think that uh, we have a tendency to fall into this micro, this, this short story that says in this episode, we have to accomplish everything here in this place. And that's just not, that's just not the case. We recognize and realize that it might be our children or maybe even our grandchildren who go to Swaziland, Thailand, Chile, Peru, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, wherever. And it might be them who actually see the breakthrough of years and years and years and years of investment, but it's gotta start somewhere. That spark has got to start somewhere. That mind change has got to start somewhere. That heart for what God is passionate about has to start somewhere. And I think that if you interview the majority of people that are involved in missions organizations, missions agencies who are long-term missionaries, by and large, and I don't have a statistic for this, but it would be fascinating to find out most of them probably had a short teaser experience. It's like wading into the water. And that's why I think that short-term missions is as important. And people will never get a cent, give a cent until they've seen the need. And so if you're not there seeing the need, touching the need, relating to the need, smelling the need, and even and understanding the, 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 the partnership and the connection of receiving both ways, you know, people, money towards missions will cease because people won't have a heart for it. And so exposure is huge for that. And so that's just a little segment that goes along with, with what he was saying. No, that's good. And I would say for me, I have that heart for missions because I went on a short-term trip. And I think some of us are like, oh, it's better if someone else goes. It's like, they're, they're the sender. They're the ones that should be it. But I think every one of us have a gift to impart and something to connect with. And God uses for such a time as this yeah. moment to where I'm in a refugee camp from the Burundi war. And the guy that I went for the tent was like, I have not gone out of my tent in weeks. But because you came and have prayed over me, I now have the faith and the courage to 
step out even though my name is on the blacklist to die. And so I think the Lord knows exactly what we're supposed to bring and how we're supposed to encourage. And there's no amount, like you said, money that can touch that. Um, that's good. Okay, our time is wrapping up, but I want to head to a couple of these questions. Why do you feel fostering a missions-minded church in Antioch is important? For us, we've all had that experience of missions, and we know the importance. We've seen the fruit of that, but maybe some of the people in the congregation or even in the city, that why is it important to have that? <laughs> Part of it's from what I just shared. I mean, our goal is not that every person in Antioch become a long-term missionary. Uh, I do we love think, our Starbucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, for, first of all, I think that Jesus's church is a global church. Yes. So number one, if we love Jesus, we're going to love Jesus's church. And I can't tell you just sitting in Indonesia and worshiping in a different language or, or being a part of Central American churches that go for, for four hours long. Um, it, it shapes you. And it causes you to love Jesus in a different way. It causes you to see him in a different way. I, I'm going to say a really harsh statement, but it's, it's, it's something I, I think I believe. I, I really think that we have a very narrow view of who Jesus really is when we localize ourselves to a people group or a locality, to a place. Because there, there, again, there are parts of God's character and nature that he just pours out when you go to a different place. And that's, that's, from, that's from the landscape. That's from the culture. I mean, you go, I mean, you go into the Middle East or you go to Africa and everything slows down and people want to sit down with you for four to six hours and we don't live like that. Um, and, or or you, go to, uh, you go into their homes and the hospitality and you see Jesus in a culture's hospitality or you see Jesus in, in their ability to suffer and endure and to remain steadfast in the midst of suffering. So we're being formed. I believe that short-term missions is a way of forming our faith and forming our spiritual maturity and forming our discipleship. I think number two, it aids in prayer. It aids in prayer. It helps us. So when we pray, you know, when there's, when there's a bombing that takes place in Paris or when there's an earthquake that happens in, in India, um, there is a solidarity and a tenderness and a sensitivity with the people of the world that you get from having gone out that you just can't replicate. You're so far removed from it. I think number three, it, it trains us to see people that are around us here in, in, in our neighborhood. And this is not, you know, local outreach and foreign global missions. They're not at war with That's each other. Right. That's right. Uh, I would have people, youth pastors that would question me and they would say, you know, the scripture says in Acts 1.8, it says that we're supposed to go to Jerusalem first. And when Jerusalem is reached, then we're supposed to go to Judea, Samaria. And when they're reached, then we're supposed to go. And that's a complete wrong exegetical approach to that scripture. They're all happening simultaneously. Because clearly, if we waited for Colorado Springs to get reached, these other countries that have zero churches, zero gospels, zero scriptures, no one would ever go to them. So they're all to happen at the same time. And it, and it trains us. I just think, you know, Colorado Springs is going to receive an influx of refugees. It, it's already started. And it's going to increase. And a global-minded, a missions-minded culture within a church is people that think about the international student, that think about people that serve in the military, that are a part of different cultures. I think it makes, it, it makes the gospel more palatable from a people. I think it causes us to be aware of issues. And uh, I, I find myself being passionate for every issue, which is unsustainable. But, um, you know, I think, I think everybody in this room should have a people group that we're drawn to and an issue that we're passionate about. 
And, and, and it just, it, I think it colors and texturizes our Christianity. It also helps when, you know, if we're not careful as Americans, American Christians in particular, you know, we come across someone who is in the Muslim garb or who's in a, a Buddhist uh, monk or, or something. And if we're not careful because we're not familiar or we've not interacted with them, we stay as far away and as distant as possible. Well, what being a part of Global Missions does is it gets you in the mix of those people. And instead of saying, you stay away as far as possible, let me bring you closer. Let me be a light to you. Instead of shunning you, let me pull you in and show you what Christ looks like. And so it, it, it just begins to change something inside of you where people who are scary are no longer scared. You don't see them that way anymore. You see them as somebody who Christ died for, who God created. He is the workmanship of their hand, who he deserves their worship. And so you become passionate in a different way, not just there, but here too. And you even, I've even seen people who feel legitimately called to the U.S. and that is awesome. But I've seen them when they go overseas, they come back with a greater passion for their nation, a greater love and a greater empowerment to reach their nation. It was really cool because, you know, we went to Spain. I was remembering last year in June, lived in Spain. She grew up there and she has been passionate for it. But while we were in Spain, the Lord was downloading stuff for Colorado Springs in her heart. He was giving her strategy for Colorado Springs. So sometimes the Lord even uses it to allow us to learn from the ways that other bodies of Christ are doing it over there. I mean, I get challenged. You know, here, we'll maybe lift up our hand if the song is just right and we've got to have the right mood and the right lighting and it's got to be the right song. Oh, that song doesn't touch me. But you know what? Over there, you've got people who can't even sing loud because if they sing too loud, they're going to be put and thrown in prison or because they're going to put the rest of the church in jeopardy, the persecuted church. So there's things that we just don't get here. Or, or people that will hike or for pe- eight hours yes. to come to a gathering of 20 people so they can be at the Lord's table. And so who, stop looking at your clocks. <laughs> there you go. And they'll lay out before the Lord and we've got one guy up there who can't sing on tune with, with two string guitar. And so it changes the way that, that even I approach the Lord because I see somebody's hunger in a different way. And I think even from, that's good. Mm. I think even from a corporate side of seeing things like, okay, I've had this experience overseas. How can I fuse this into my company? How can I bring the experiences that I've had into my children, into my classroom? If I'm teaching, how can I get these students that are going to be receiving these refugees to think not us versus them, but we? How can we raise money for this children's home that we were just at? How can I as a company not just give a tax write-off to a nonprofit, but how can I bring my company to create inspiration and ideas and strategies to be able to help the different countries around the world? So So I think, yeah, it goes across the board. Last question. So if I'm a member of the house and I feel like I'm called to my company, I'm called into this mountain, I have two kids, four kids, it's Antioch. Um, <laughs> let's be real. Um, do, you, do you believe that every person should go on the mission fields? If I don't feel like I can go, what would you say to that person? You know, there's seasons for everything. Um, you know, I was fortunate to have grasped some of this in a season in my life where I had just nothing else 
to do with my life except go overseas um, and and pursue the Lord and people in this way. But many of us, you know, uh, we have families, we have jobs, we have responsibilities. Even some of us aren't even sure we completely buy in and we're still kind of growing in even our philosophy on on missions and should we be a missions people. Um, I, I think there are so many different ways to engage. I would say, man, in, this is all opinion, okay? But I think every believer in Christ should at least once in their life, just at least once, go and, 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 and be with the body of Christ in a different nation. Go and hold the hand of someone who doesn't know him in another nation. Go and, and bring that cup of water and hold that orphan and that widow and go and help be that gateway so that Bible translators can get into a village and translate a Bible for people who've never had a Bible. So even if you just do it once, I feel like that is something that something will, some of you will get what we call the missions bug and you won't be able to stop going. And then some of you guys will pick up a mantle for intercession. Some will be like, okay, I've gone and, and I now the Lord has shown me how I can be a, a more effective intercessor here for teams that go, for people that go, for our contacts, for the people here in my own nation. Um, for some of us, it's we, we need to go that first time so we get enough of a passion to be a sender. I buy into this. I am not in a season where I can go, but I can send. I can empower. I can be a part of help keeping the long-term missionary long-term. I can be a part of, of helping to meet a need in this nation. Um, so I always really, really, really highly suggest at some point in your life, go on at least one. But you know what? There are seasons and there are times and maybe right now it's just not a feasible season. That's okay. There are ways to engage in the nations here. There are ways to engage in prayer and in finances and in reaching out to people here. Just a couple more things that I would add to that. Um, And I'm glad that you're asking this question. Um, When Team Tanzania gave their debrief, I think I had this revelation, and that is, if, if there is somebody here in Antioch Church who has not gone out with Antioch Global Missions, I, I don't know if we have done a great job creating a missions culture in Antioch Church. And, and so bridge, bridging those two worlds, I think, is very, very important. Um, Christy mentioned praying. Christy mentioned giving. I think um, um, championing and celebrating someone who's come back. One of the biggest things our teams need is actually just someone to listen to them. They need someone to be interested, you know, and you know this, but a lot of short-term teams and individuals that come back, they come back and people's lives are just still moving forward. And they ask questions like, how was the weather and how was the food? And did you get any good souvenirs? But they're not, they're not asking the deeper interior questions in terms of, and I think that that exchange and that dialogue is one way that people can get involved. I think again, you know, ministering to the foreign exchange student, ministering to the refugee, or just ministering to someone of a different culture is one way we can get involved. Um, um, we have people that help train teams. And so, uh, and Christy and I train trainers. And so if you can't go this year and you want to help train a team in their team development, we'll train you. And that's a way that you can get involved. Um, hosting, hosting gatherings. We, we pull all of our teams together. And uh, before we have all the families just have a night of celebration before they're about to be launched out. And if you have the gift of hospitality, open your home. That's a way that you can get involved. Um, your skill sets. I mean, you know, we're constantly looking for people who are administrative and people that just even with your skill sets, you can get involved. And so I, I think there's, there's ways that the whole body can carry and shape the missions culture. So. Um, okay. Were you guys encouraged? Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, sharing your heart. 
Tanya, thank you for uh, facilitating such a great conversation with us. Give these ladies a hand. I'm going to help them off the stage here. And I'd like to call up Charlie and Val Dilcher. Charlie and Val Dilcher, come on. And I'm, I'm going to switch sides here with these guys. That's right. I'm playing both sides of the table. As, uh, as we close our conversation on missions, we actually have something that's really fascinating and wonderful that's happening. Uh, most of our conversation today was around the short-term aspect of Antioch Global Missions and Antioch Church. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit after service about some local opportunities that we have. And you may not know this, but uh, any, there are pockets of people that are involved in Antioch Church in terms of local outreach that's, that's above and beyond just friendship evangelism and healthy neighboring and being a witness at work. We have a team that serves at Mercy's Gate once a month. We have a team that serves at Ronald McDonald House once a month. We have a team that serves at Salvation Army once a month. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things that are going on, uh, not to mention that there are actually some collaborative local outreach things that are taking place, and David's going to share that opportunity with you after service. Here's another thing that, is, that the Lord is expanding in AGM, and that is the long-term missionary. So if you, if you don't know who Charlie and Val Dilcher are, the Lord brought them here to our house just probably a little under a year. And um, I'm, I'm going to let these guys share a little bit of their story with you because they approached Christy and me probably three or four months ago. And they said, the Lord has stirred our heart and is, we've been in a process of training and development and we're going to go serve long-term and we want to be Antioch Church long-term missionaries. So we want to submit to a process. What requirements do you have of us? What counsel do you have of us? What extra training do we need? And they've had extensive training. They even said this, we feel like we're called to go in September, but if you say no, we'll submit to that. And uh, if, if, if you say that we need to wait, we'll wait. And that, that is just massive. That speaks volumes. So um, Charlie and Val, tell us, um, boy, tell us how the Lord brought you to Antioch and tell us what the Lord's been doing in your heart since you've been here. And we'll just, we'll just start sure. with the body getting to know who you guys are. Yeah, um, it has been just about a year. We've been in Colorado Springs for just about a year. And kind of like, I'd say maybe 50 to 80% of you kind of just stumble their way in and never left. So... Yeah, you know, you're kind of doing the church, looking at what's going on. And for us, too, you know, in our home country, we're somewhat transient. And so it's like, all right, Lord, you know, we're not sure if we're here for three months, six months, one year. Happened to be a year because they didn't change that date. Um, but um, we came in, and it was the first time it was like, dang, the Holy Spirit is here. There's a family here. There's a context of something so beyond what I've experienced in the States um, because there's a difference between coming to and fro and you, you do experience something so deep on the field and then you come back and you're like, well, what's going on here unless you are connected? So that was kind of the context and we just kind of fell in. It was like, wow, this is a, this is a godsend for sure for this year, so... stuff out of you so you can't you can't just 
okay. Uh, I've got a really funny story. The first, the first Sunday that I met Charlie, I mean, Charlie is just one of those guys that lights up a room and he's just so magnetic. And there's this just part of the, the grace gift that's on his life. And then afterwards, he comes up to me. I met him during Guest Connect. And afterwards, he comes up to me and he says, man, I'm really not into this whole local church thing. He's like, but there's something that's different here. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of more a house church guy and missions and small groups and stuff. He says, but there's something that's different here. What, can you tell us what you've seen and yeah, felt that's totally. been different? Yeah, totally, um, yeah. Backing up just a quick little bit, uh, more context. While we were on the field previously, we didn't have a family back in, in the States. Um, you know, and that made a huge difference. You see in Acts that uh, Peter and James are in prison, but the church is praying for them. What happens? They get released. So there's a, there's a, this connect and this tension where we experience that lifelessness of not being intentionally connected. But coming to Antioch, as I said, there's this family element. And, you know, I think a lot of congregations are shooting for this, but you guys have it. It's where our first six, seven, eight weeks, it was someone we were connecting with multitudes of people, same spirit, similar DNA, not just that we're, we're, you know, Unitarian, we're like one another, but there's immense diversity, social, economic, cultural, race, even in terms of theological differences and backgrounds and um, denominations. And I was like, wow, this is, this is awesome. I don't know what's going on here, but then I realized what the thing was, you guys pray. And it's intentional, and it's week-long, and it's also, we take time to pray here. We, and even the tension between, it's all planned, like you said last week, but yet the Spirit of God might speak something, and you walk these tensions, and that's the biggest thing I've seen on the mission field, theologically. Tensions have a huge uh, place to play, and as Jason Upton said, I don't know if you know him, God lives in the tension, and you find him in the tension, and we found one another in the tension. So I'm, I was flabbergasted. Valor was flabbergasted. That I was flabbergasted. You want to stay here? What? What's going on? And and I, I was. We came back to the states, and my heart was kind of hard. I hadn't heard from the Lord. I was kind of going through a little minor depression, and that first that first week it was like, and things just fell off of me. I, I can't even call to what happened or what exactly was going on in the service because it was just um, the, the Lord ministering to me really powerfully. So, yeah. I'll, uh, I think when we came to Antioch and when we came back to the U.S., we, the Lord just was making it so clear our need for the body. And um, we were just so zealous, like, this is obedience. Go and make disciples of all nations. You know, we just got married and went. And, um, and we just noticed those, those long-term workers on the field that have these church bodies that intercede for them when they cross borders or <laughs> things happen. It's just like, things just work out for them. Like, you know, their visa just got renewed. Like ours didn't, you know, <laughs> like what, what, what happened here? And, and the Lord was just, yeah, just further imprinting the idea that like, we're not to be lone rangers out there. We need that covering both for ourselves and for the people that we're working with. And when we're working with someone who's wanting to make a decision to give their life an eternal spirit that wants to give their life to Jesus and surrender to him as the Lord, you know, and then we can do the final step and tell them like, hey, we've got, you know, 300, 500 people have been praying for you by name. Like just the power of that, that we didn't really have by having, um, yeah, a local church praying body behind us that we were like, we will stay in the U.S. Um, yeah, if 
for kind of as long as it takes. Like we, we want that and we desire that and we just, it was just such a gift to feel so comfortable immediately in Antioch and that we weren't strange because we were in the nations and, and we weren't wrong for <laughs> going to the nations and not staying in America and just the understanding of missions that was here and just the way we were welcomed so quickly, even though so many of you knew that we were leaving soon, you know, <laughs> that we were transient. So um, we were just so blessed by that welcome. Valor, you said something that I don't think out of all of our conversations, I don't know if I picked up on, maybe I'm just a little slow to the game, but am I hearing you say that one of the biggest things or reasons why you came back was to find that home church that would be ascending covering for you is that very true the three things actually were that was one of them my back to get healed which it is praise the name <laughs> and to have a child there you go wow <laughs> Third one was kind of mine all, said, all three check 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 ready to go ready to go yeah, and it, it was amazing to see that the lord was just leading us in that way it That's was amazing. it was yeah, G- give sure. us a little bit, and we'll just kind of go like brief bullet points. Some of your some of your timeline resume, because you're not new to you're not new to foreign missions. You didn't just wake up one morning and go, "Hey, we're going to go to one of the most hot the hot spot of the Middle East and take our baby and lay our lives down." I mean, this was a process. So maybe start from the beginning and just g- give us. You know, I, I was here, and then I was here, and I was here, and I was here. Just walk us through some of your resume. Oh, bullet yeah. Go ahead. Um, Okay, when I graduated college at 22, um, wanted to go into overseas missions training, so happened to go to Mozambique for a um, little under a year. That brought me to Kenya for a couple years. All along, I carried a heart for the Middle East, um, wanting to be in Israel, working with Jews and Muslims, but the Lord taught me obedience first in Africa, and, um, you know, by the time I was like, okay, I could, I didn't see myself as Africa girl, <laughs> but um, by the time I surrendered Okay, I I live and I die here, Lord, if you want me to stay here for the decades. That's when he pulled me up and gave me kind of the dream in my heart to work in the, the heart of the Middle East. And so I got to go to Israel, and um, that's where we met in Jerusalem. So. My resume is much shorter. She's seven years older, so she's, I'm a young dog. But, uh, so. Uh, she was having these experiences when you were like in junior high. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you're still playing part, with partially. Transformers and GI Joes, <laughs> and she's like changing Africa. It's a different story for a different time, but yes. So yeah, so I actually I he studied. missed the '80s, like the whole decade of the '80s. Like how sad. <laughs> I did miss the '80s, but I have an '80s spirit. Um, yeah, so. I was, uh, I was in Europe for some time, kind of a couple of years with Bible school and, and uh, chasing my, my brother around, chasing a woman. And then I was fortunate to uh, go to Israel as well for a year, and that's where Valerie and I met. So, wow. yeah, and then, you know, we kind of touched base points of, of Jordan and uh, doing some more crisis relief kind of stuff, but yeah. those aren't as longer st- st- stints, so. And, and uh, Nepal as well, is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. And tell me about the missions organization that you guys have been training with and connected with here in town. Yeah, so FAI, Frontier Alliance International, uh, very long story short, you have uh, the Muslim world, the Middle East is the last frontier of global missions, the unreached, and so their heart is to kind of put Romans 15, Paul's mandate in his heart to 
Make Christ known where he's not known. But then also, he's also the same guy that wrote Ephesians 4, the book of community. So you kind of have this parallel, this tension between pioneering, but also context of creating communities. And so uh, that's, you know, everything that FAI is and does kind of has the heartbeat of planting Christ-exalting, spirit-filled, worshiping communities. So where there currently are none. And uh, our hearts just connected. We watched one of their films, which we'll give a brief clip at the end. There's some stuff in the back, uh, but these films are on the website for free. They're really encouraging um, and stirring. But, uh, yeah, we just connected, and we were like, wow, our hearts are on the same playing field. And, um, you know, to come to Antioch and see we're on the same page, then to find a missions organization that some of those issue, key issues, like, oh, well, we don't have to even really have these kinds of conversations. We're, we're in the same spirit. So. Wow. So, so some people, and I heard you mention this, you were in Africa willing to stay there. Some people's call to long-term missions is to a place. Like, I know I am called to Southeast Asia. I will live and die there the rest of my life. But as I understand your story, it's, it's, a, it's a very broad place, but it's more towards a people. Is that right? It's more towards the Muslim people? Yeah. And can you tell me? Yeah, I think we'd say unreached. Okay. Um, so that has always been, which it broke our hearts when we actually had to leave Israel <laughs> visa issues. and um, But the Lord reminded us of the common denominator for both of us early on in our walk with the Lord was him showing us the 1040 window mm-hmm. and the unreached. And my history and my background, um, unlike many of you, especially you guys, um, growing up in the USA, I didn't know much outside of my context in Indiana. <laughs> and, um, you know, I got one of these when I was really young. And, um, you know, life's not perfect wherever you live. And um, I just learned pretty quickly to, to find Jesus in this book and, and to find comfort. Even when I didn't understand anything I was reading, I would still find comfort. And, you know, I, can, I could get this in any color, any translation. My favorite place in high school is the Christian bookstore. You know, just having a bad day, just go there. And um, <laughs> so uh, when I was in college and started to learn about missions in the world, I was just, I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, I can't imagine, like, growing up in a nation where, like, you're not allowed this book. And um, of all the injustices, like, to be kept from the knowledge of Jesus, like, I just thought this is so wrong. And and around that time, um, The Passion of the Christ came out, and I was hearing about women in Saudi Arabia that would secretly go out to see the film. And I just thought, I look at those women, and I think the two of us, we still look at these, you know, men and women and think there's nothing that we did to... I didn't choose to be born in America. I didn't merit to be born here. I just was. But just as easily, I could have been born in a nation like this. And I would have been one of those women. Like, I would have wanted to sneak out to see that film, you know. And um, so I think that's what motivates us as long with just looking the last words of Jesus. You know, when you say, how could this injustice happen? Um, but then you look at, oh, well, the Bible is pretty simple. Like, these were his last words. Go go to these places. Like, you are the answer. You know, like, you pray, but you are also the answer. Go. Do something about it. So that's really um, what motivates us. And we said, you know, when we, you know, our passport visa issues had to leave Israel, thought, well, you know, we'll never be out of a job because we feel like the Lord has called us to the 1040 window. <laughs> and it's a big region. And so uh, we're next, Lord, because there's so many people still on this earth that just have 
Jesus who? Like they just haven't heard of Jesus or or don't know the Bible, like don't have a Bible. And, and, and even if they're too scared to own one or get one, we want to be those living people that are their neighbors that are alongside with them that can share those things.